Hi, I'm Todd Nathanson. And there's no one else here. Song vs. Song is on break for the month of September. I am exhausted. We're going to take a little short break. And to put something up in the meantime, we are going to unlock a couple bonus episodes just for you. See, we put up a special bonus episode every month. You vote on the movie we watch and we review it. If you like what you hear, maybe check out our Patreon where you can sign up to listen to all our monthly bonus episodes. We have done dozens of them at this point. That is patreon.com slash song versus song. Check it out and enjoy this bonus episode. Hi, I'm Todd Nathanson. And I'm Danny Roth. And this is a Song vs. Song Patreon exclusive. Every month, we review a movie that you guys pick for us, a movie or a TV show sometimes. And uh, this month, you picked a big one, a non-minor entry into the cinematic canon. We are doing 1975's The Rocky Horror Picture Show. And uh, you brought us a ringer today, Danny. I, I I did. Well, you know, I mean, we got really used to doing stuff like Rockula. <laughs> and uh, this is, I guess, a little bit bigger than Rockula, I guess. So yeah. I, I brought um, uh, a YouTuber that uh, I know who discusses a lot of um, horror stuff and exploitation stuff, who also has, a, I, I think, a pretty strong tie to the whole shadow cast experience of Rocky Horror. And that is uh, the erstwhile Michael Keane. Well, howdy, guys! It's a, it's a pleasure to be on this podcast that I've I've definitely listened to many episodes <laughs> of. I love when you talk about topics and things, and the, the rapport that you have is truly our topics uh, are truly uh, That's what our uh, our listeners like the most: the topics mm, and, yes. and our rapport. Yeah, yeah. We actually do it in Smellovision, and I think at least five people like that. If I can ask, who do you shadowcast as? Uh, well, I don't shadow cast anymore. Uh, that's a bit of a long story. But um, when I did shadow cast, uh, well, no one's shadow casting now. But <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's true. Uh, when I when I did uh, when I was on a shadow cast for about a year, year and a half, I was magenta. <laughs> uh, with you know, every so often I'd be other characters, but mainly I was I was magenta. And then for between three and four years, I never really kept track. Uh, I was Rocky. Uh, and they, they would always ask me to do other characters, but then I was like, but this one's so easy because I don't have to wear anything. Uh, <laughs> and this, uh, I spent most of my, uh, shadow cast time in Charleston, South Carolina. So it was very humid. Uh, uh so I was really excited to get out of the, uh, the silk made outfit. Yeah. Those tight bustiers, they, they, I think they chafe. I mean, I wouldn't know, yeah. but when I go yes, to Rocky Horror, so, wearing... so far as you know, you could be wearing one right now. Nothing wrong with that. No. When I used to go to Rocky Horror, I always dress up real nice, like I was going to like a fancy dinner or something, because I didn't really have any anything else. So I was like, "This is my way of dressing up." Like it, if I could have gotten one of those Transylvanians tuxedos, I probably would have gone as one of those. I I I, I love playing Transylvanians because it's <laughs> you you barely have to do jack shit. You just get to be a wild person outside of like two songs. It's so good. I've never been. We'll we'll we'll, we'll talk Whoa. about it. I know. Well, it's you it's, are you are forty years old. I know. Listen, we're gonna we'll get to that at the towards the end of the podcast. There is a reason, I promise, um, and it will. I hope make some kind of sense. But are you a fucking Mormon? I sure ain't. Um, a, as far as you know, yeah. Danny's a huge prude. <laughs> yeah, people he's, say he's it all the time. Uptight. Yep, yep. Uh, anyway, 
So very quickly, I I feel like this is one of those things where Rocky Horror, as far as I can tell, is the thing that every single person on Earth knows about. But I'm not sure to what extent different people know the the details of it. Like, how many people who know that there's Rocky Horror Picture Show know that it was a play first? I genuinely don't know that. I How common that knowledge is. I only know it because, like, I know Rocky Horror because... I watched a lot of MTV and a lot of VH1 and VH1 every Halloween for a while back when I was a kid, at least would play Rocky horror. That was their like music movie for the month of Halloween. And they also did a behind the music about it, a behind the music on Rocky horror picture show. They do that for movies sometimes. And that's how I know about the play. I don't know. They, they, they still put on the play sometimes, right? Not just the shadow yeah. cast, but like I've, I've, I've heard of revivals of Rocky horror. Oh, yeah. A bunch of theaters uh, put it on. I, I actually went to a show uh, in Somerville, South Carolina at the. Um, oh, shit. I, <laughs> I performed there multiple times and I don't remember the name of the theater. Flower Town, something or another. I've heard people trying to put on the play and uh, they get keep getting thrown because uh, people keep trying to do the callbacks, the callbacks. And it just throws off their rhythm because it's not like nailed down like it is in a movie. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that you need to be a certain type of actor to do the stage show now. Actually, the one I went to, uh, the girl next to me, she was part of some shadow cat just by happenstance. I didn't know her, uh, but she uh, was doing callbacks and someone associated with the theater asked her to stop. Uh, she did not. Uh, but I, I, <laughs> I later learned that the cast actually was having a ball with it. Um, but I, I feel like that's probably not always the case. I just I, I think it's really cool that Tim Curry was always a part of it, that right from the start, that like that very first production in England that well, he was part right off. Yeah. Yeah. But he was he was there <laughs> and then he was out in California. And, and um, I just think it's kind of it's that stuff mixed with the fact that like they had this idea in their heads that, well, we're going to make this movie and we'll also have it be on Broadway and that'll be a huge smash synergy. And uh, I think it lasted like forty something shows on Broadway, and then it was gone. It was, is it was that like a lot? the no, 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 Todd, <laughs> no, it is not, not at all. I think that's interesting. I think it's interesting that when Rocky Horror came to Broadway, it was the same year that Chicago came to Broadway. That- and I think it's also interesting to kind of think about like what it was kind of paired up with historically, like what was happening in the world at the time, what other musicals were out. Cause, like, not only is there that, but like. I think like Hello Dolly had gotten like a revival at the time. And like, there were things that made sense. Like Phantom, Phantom of the Paradise is kind of concurrent. Um, but you know, the early seventies was like, I don't know what Fiddler on the roof. That was where <laughs> we were. And so it's interesting to think like Fiddler on the roof, Rocky horror picture show. <laughs> like it's just, a, it's such an interesting space that it occupies. And part of what makes the movie so good is that there are, I think people, that were involved with both pretty notably. And I think to its, its success, in my opinion, and we could talk about this is, um, was the same costume designer. Cause it's a movie, but like you can, it's a boy, it sure is a stage show that they made into a movie successfully, I think. But like, it has that vibe. Like it doesn't have a Broadway vibe, but it sure as hell has an off Broadway vibe. You know, it's, it's funny. I, when I watched it in, uh, I guess like 2002, when I first watched it, I felt extremely edgy for myself. Like, it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm an adult now. I'm into the weird shit. And like, this has been around 40 years. It's an institution. 
I don't, I don't know if uh, this is like edgy to anyone anymore. Like in 1975, like this would have been the craziest thing you'd ever seen. And, uh, you know, one of the original midnight movies. And I, I can't imagine it being on Broadway. That doesn't make any I, I didn't know it went to Broadway. I thought it was just like an entirely weird off 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 Broadway kind of thing. No, no, it was very, very, very briefly, like I said, about 45 performances. So if you figure they did one performance per day, most of the weekdays and then two performances on the weekends, that's a like a couple of weeks a month. No, I, I can't imagine it. I I did not know that till you told me just now because I didn't watch that behind the music episode very closely. But I think that's I just think that that on its face is really interesting um, because, you know, a lot of things that are failures in one way end up being cult favorites in others. And like this is in the pantheon of cult hits. It's probably like in the top five, top ten, like most instantly. Like if you were going to name like what's a cult hit? Rocky Horror would probably be one of the first three to five things I would think you'd think of. Oh, yeah. It's it's interesting, too, because it uh, it really is built, oddly enough, on the concept of cult uh, cinema. Uh, the whole I mean, the whole movie is uh, this homage to the like 50s sci fi uh, tropes that Richard O'Brien was so just obsessed with at the time and also Americana. It, it's fascinating because. A, it is based on all the the kind of cult um, imagery, uh, and then only to become a huge cult hit. But it also o- almost didn't. It, it was so it so uh, just barely missed out on being a total obscurity. Uh, if it wasn't for that one executive who decided to like pop it up and uh, let it go a little bit further with its um, initial American uh, run, when you considered like just how uh, much it has to do with cinema. You know, it's not really something you would expect to see on stage in the first place. Yeah. It's a movie about movies. I guess it would have yeah. been so in the play too. I like, I've never seen the Rocky horror show, the Rocky horror non-picture show. Uh, oh yeah. The, the, the Rocky horror show is very, I mean, it's basically the same thing. There's a few differences. Rocky is very different, for example. Um, but for the most part, it's really not different. Uh, and I mean, it helps that most of the creative team um, was part of the film as well. But uh, it's it's a pretty straightforward adaptation. There's no great liberties taken um, between the two. I've, I've heard the uh, the scene where Frankie seduces uh, Brad and Janet is not in the, the stage show. Is that true? I remember hearing that. Like they imply um, it, but you don't see it like you do in the movie. I don't remember, because um, I've only seen it once on stage, uh, but I don't remember if that scene was not there. It wouldn't surprise me, but... Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not sure what audience they were going for in 1975. You know, I mean, it's, I, I've always heard it as like one of those classically so bad it's good movies. I've never thought of it as a bad movie. Like, not oh yeah, no. even like the tiniest bit. And I don't know where it picked up that reputation I think if you have a film that is, you know, being jeered basically uh, mm-hmm. the entire time, I think it probably just gathers that or like it takes on that um, mentality after a while where it's like, oh, yeah, this is a movie where the people are making fun of for an hour and a half uh, that it's probably a bad movie. Uh, it's also again, it's a it's taking from movies that are considered campy and bad uh, and reutilizing them uh, for its own form. And I I guess that carries over. 
it's funny because all those 50s movies it's you know it's taking from i guess were also considered bad at the time and also i can't think of those as bad movies either you know yeah daily earth is still and it came from outer space and the triffids or whatever like those are all like beloved classics too i think some people would disagree on triffids yeah, yeah, okay. yeah i'm not yeah, sure okay. i'm not sure about the triffids, triffids. <laughs> yeah uh but all right let me let me ask you this um did you rewatched it i know you did todd um yeah. in 2020 i had a you know a friend over we watched it but you know i've seen this movie so many times like i mean we didn't really quite watch it we just kind of talked through it which is sacrilegious i know you can't talk through rocky horror but <laughs> except for all the talking that people <laughs> yes do. except for all the talking you know the first time i saw it was not in the uh with a bunch of people i i watched it alone is, is that how you all watch it the first time like what was your first experience with rocky horror the first time i saw it i was alone because i i read about it in leonard malton's movie guide because i was a little nerd boy mm-hmm uh, and this was not even like I, I'm not that old. I, this was 2000. I don't know, maybe like six, 2005, something like that. Uh, maybe a little bit earlier, but in that I was a teenager, at least by age. Uh, <laughs> and I, I was reading Little Mountain's movie guide and I saw this entry for Rocky Horror Picture Show. And the way he described it, it, it seems so salacious and bizarre <laughs> and just out of this world. And. Uh, at some point, I, I was always looking out for it, and I saw it in a video store, and my mom bought it for me. That's how young I was. Uh, and I, I watched that old shitty DVD. And actually, it wasn't a shitty DVD. That's a, that's mean to say. That was a good DVD. Quality transfer. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was, it was pretty good. Uh, so I, I watched it by myself, and I'm entranced because mm-hmm. I just find this. And I was always a, a very out there kid. Um, but it, it, it did have that that feeling of being like a, a, it was very sexy and raw and, you know, like, oh, I shouldn't be watching this. Uh, and, you know, now with what I've I've seen since in my cinematic journey, uh, it doesn't it barely even compares. It's 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 like a Disney movie. Oh, actually, I guess it is now a Disney movie. Um, uh, well, because they own uh, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Frankenfurter is a prince, a Disney princess. <laughs> the uh, the first shadow cast I ever went to. Uh, was when I was in high school and I took like some girl I was into uh, and she didn't give a fuck about me. She just liked that I had a car. Uh, and um, it was a not a great experience at all for me. Like I was, I, I, I liked the show, but I was in an awful, you know, angsty teenage headspace. And then a few years later, uh, I went to see the same shadow cast at a different theater. Uh, and... I still loved Rocky Horror. I was still obsessed with musicals, what have you. I was in theater uh, in high school. And uh, I saw it again when I was like, you know, 17, I guess. And fucking fell in love. And I, I think like that show or the next show, I, I signed up with them and became a part of the cast. Yeah, watching Rocky Horror alone is a much, much, much different experience than watching it with people. Like watching it with people... You know, it's a it's a fun concert. You know, we're having fun. We're singing the songs we like versus watching it alone. It's a kind of a different experience because like Frankie is so creepy and unpleasant. Like, you know, Tim Curry, he's you know, he's a great experience. You know, love watching him regardless. But I don't know. He's much it feels much more sinister when you're not like having a ball with a group of people. I feel like I get well, when I first saw him, I wasn't like super. Uh, but this, I wasn't like as aware of the um, cross-dressing scene, 
And so it was weird to see Tim Curry, you know, decked out in this very um, uh, kinky outfit mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, g- getting, you know, getting some Brad action, getting some Janet action, <laughs> getting some everything action. Uh, but I, you know, I always found him to be a weird mix of, yeah, maybe creepier villainous, mm-hmm. but also strangely inspiring. Um, I think that really has to do with his arc in the film. And how he eventually winds up. I mean, he remains the villain. He's a bad person. Um, uh, he's a murderer. And uh, yeah, but he kills Meatloaf. It's fine. <laughs> it's just Meatloaf. Uh, but uh, I, I, his final song, you know, that whole "Don't Dream It, Be It" uh, mm-hmm. thing, really stuck with me. It, it really shaped uh, who I became as a person. Um, so I, I always saw him as sort of a weirdly inspirational villain uh, uh he's a it, it's a it's a weird character is a, a weird complicated character by the end of it he's kind of almost a tragic figure yeah i'm not i'm not sure exactly how but like you feel for him well i think that's that's something that's common in films with villains as like the protagonists or almost like you know like the main attraction of the film uh, a really extreme example is like the Devil's Rejects, which, you know, a movie where these characters do the worst fucking things imaginable. Mm-hmm. And then they go out. Spoilers for like the people who haven't seen Devil's Rejects, I guess. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the end, they go out in this blaze of glory. And, you know, part of it's the music. But uh, Freebird, like, yeah, you, like, you hear Freebird playing and they're going up against the cops. It helps that the one cop's a fucking asshole. And they killed him. Uh, yeah. And. You're like, oh, my God, no, they're di- Oh, God. And they're getting shot up. And you're just like, why? And then you're like, oh, he also like sexually assaulted mm-hmm. a woman and murdered all these people and ruined mm-hmm. a family. Uh, uh, but it's, lo- oh, it's sad. I've lost track of whether we're talking about the rejects or Frankenfurter here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very I, similar I mean, that- people. But that's the horror part, right? I mean, that's the beauty of it. Freddy Krueger's the same thing. Like he's mm-hmm. he's a he's a. I mean, in the in the in the original movies, he's a child abuser. But we know we know that I mean, he's a child molester. But like, don't you like Freddy Krueger? Don't you? You're going to see the movie because of Freddy fucking Krueger, you know? Yeah. So I think it's kind of a similar. Frankie's kind of a child molester too. Yeah, uh, Rocky is very much uh, actually fun fun tangent. Uh, well, not a tangent. Um, when I played Rocky, um, and if I ever play him again, uh, I specifically always gave him a very childlike puppy dog demeanor, uh, which the last cast I was on didn't particularly like that. They wanted everything to be very, uh, um, film accurate, but the, Mm. uh, the cast I was in in Charleston was a very fun, like freewheeling, you know, whatever it entertained type of group. And I played him as a, a little mentally challenged. I'll, I'll be honest. And he was very much this because I always thought like, oh, yeah, he was just born. This dude was this dude is fresh. Like, yeah, that's not this, something you're adding to it. Like that's it's in, it's baked into the movie. Yeah. Um, and I, I that's what I I think that's one reason I loved Rocky so much uh, the, as the character is he's just this innocent guy just or child trapped in this bizarre situation and he's kind of going with it, you know, a little freaked out by the dogs. But, yeah, you know, the butt sex is all right. <laughs> I've I've heard that, like, for the there's like a big gay reading of Frankenstein, or at least a lot of gay people have really seen themselves in it because it's like my understanding is, you know, it's procreation without the need for actual sex or anything like 
you know, he made his own child out of spare parts. Frankenstein did. So I think I but like Rocky Horror is the only one I've ever seen, like actually go anywhere with that, like actually make it like explicit. And if, you know, Frankenstein is the child because in the book, Frankenstein refers to Dr. Frankenstein as the father and everything. Then Frankenfurter is like molesting his own child here is what he's doing. Like no one thinks about it that way, but it's like. I don't know where I'm going with this. I've, I'm, I feel like I'm diving into spaces I'm not equipped to talk about. I mean, you're 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 right. Um, it's I you know I think part of the beauty of Rocky Horror is it's sort of like perfect for an edgy crowd without having like the really awful hallmarks of edgy people. Um, you know, I feel like we all know that one edgy guy or gal who just you know here's a dead baby Jew joke. Yeah. And you're like, oh, here we go again, right in front of my parents. Uh, <laughs> and Rocky well, Horror has like a lot of stuff baked in that is weirdly edgy without it being like super overt. Like a lot of it you either have to think about or when taking it face value, it's just kind of can't be fun. Uh, and then once you've seen it, you know, 10,000 goddamn times like I have, uh, those little threads start to uh, come out. And you're like, oh, yeah, he fucking raped his kid. <laughs> It's 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 real easy to not take it at face value when you're seeing it with like a, a giant group of people like this. This last time that I just watched it, like, I guess I've always known this, but like for most of this movie, I don't understand what the hell is happening in a, in a lot of it. Like Meatloaf is here. Where did he come from? Who it is, is he? It takes a while. Yeah. Uh, like yeah, when you I, see I, it I like a thousand times and you weren't watching it for the plot any of those times. It's uh, it's you know, it's easy to just ignore that. So I guess that's that's where the so bad it's good label comes in. It is very confusing. The first few like I I, I still um, when I watch it or perform it, um, I, I notice new things. I've pretty much gotten all the plot down. Like, I don't think I noticed any new plot details uh, in the last couple of years. But it like the first few um, I was always realizing new things uh, about the plot, about the themes uh, Eddie's role is really hard to grasp the first few times. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a lot going on there. Uh, it, it, it's a, a wild piece of work. And actually like every, I feel like everything Richard O'Brien fucking touches is like that. Uh, cause shock treatment is like that too, where the first time you watch it, like what the fuck was that about? And then you go back later and it's, Oh, okay. I've, I've seen Rocky horror six billion times. I've seen shock treatment once. I, maybe I have to go rewatch that. I was just kind of. Oh, you, you, you should just... watch it. You know, there's a great YouTube video <laughs> yeah. about, about shock treatment. Uh, is it by the, is it Rocky Horror's the, S parentheses equal? I I don't yeah. remember what's the what's the name of the guy. It's it's Michael Keane. You should just watch just yeah. watch Michael's video about it. Um. Anyway, uh, Todd, because you are you are a music reviewer, mm-hmm. I feel like we should probably talk about the music. It um okay. It kicks ass. Don't really have anything to add to that. But <laughs> <laughs> no, like that's primarily the first thing I, I took to it. Like those are just some fucking kick ass, uh, you know, rock and roll songs. Some, you know, the glam rock stuff. I don't even really think of it as very musical. It's extremely musical. There's a lot of songs. In it. I know. I, but like. I mean, not like Broadway, oh, like in the sense that it's not. No, it's not versus like the other rock and roll musicals like Hair or Jesus Christ Superstar. Like those feel like a Broadway person wrote this. 
And I, could, I get that. Versus uh, Rocky Horror, which actually, you know, like it reminds me a lot of Meatloaf stuff. Surprise! Like Meatloaf was like the the Broadway end of rock and roll, and I guess this is I. It's not not Broadway ish, but like I always enjoy right, well, like little, little shop of horrors is a little bit of this too i think a little yeah yeah those are very 60s ish those sound more like 60s pop than broadway yeah that's what i'm saying like it's got yeah. a little bit more of that radio friendly type of stuff yeah no um because i you know i'm a because i play piano i learned to play um t- the time warp and that was like one of my things i'd bust out at every uh party i could because you have to like really hit the keys for that one. That's a fun one to play, and everyone seems to enjoy that one. But I, 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 I taught myself like that entire soundtrack. Like the, the, those were things I'd play all the time. I love every single song on it, even the really weak ones. Why? What's your favorite? Uh, I abstain, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> we'll, we'll, just, we'll let's just get it out of the way now. Um, I saw Rocky Horror and its completion for the first time to prepare for this podcast. Are you serious? Oh, my God. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Right behind you right now that I can see over this this Skype call is a whole gigantic DVD shelves of crappy garbage from this time period. That's correct. That's right. If I were to pick one thing that I would have been definitely sure that you'd have watched by now in your 40 years, it is the Rocky Horror Picture Show by Jim Sharman, yeah. 1975. I, yes, we'll, I, we will get to it. I, uh, you, know, you have I, every Al Adamson movie on Blu-ray right now. I see it. I see it. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet you've I watched multiples. I, um, I, gosh, yes. I have a lot of crap. There is a real... So, again, I don't... I don't want to send we, we brought in a guest and it's so nice to have me not center the narrative on myself for an hour of us talking and forget that most people are listening for Todd in the Shadows and not me. Um, we're having such a nice time doing that. <laughs> let's let's kick that story down the road just a little bit further. Um, Michael, um, would you talk about the, the, the music and sort of how you feel about it? Songs you like, maybe ones that don't connect or ones that you feel. Uh, I know there's at least the one you already mentioned that you have a, a really strong personal connection to. Um, well, I, I'm about as musically inclined as a bronzed trash bag. So I, I, I can't really. Oh, you listen to bronze in- trash bag, too. I love them. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They used to tour with Uriah Heep. Yeah. I'm, I'm not as. Um, inclined to that sort of thing as, as Todd is um, by a great margin. But I, uh, I definitely, I think the, the, one of the many, many great, I always say like one of the beautiful things about Rocky Horror Picture Show, there's a lot of things. Um, but one of them is I feel like every song in the movie is catchy and would work on the radio. And I think that's maybe one of the things that makes it kind of similar to little shop of horrors and less to like um, your Jesus Christ superstars, or maybe even like your Tommy's, where I feel like there's a lot of songs in there that are just um, kind of, well, it's a rock opera. We got to have a lot of music. We got to push the plot through the music. Uh, and I don't think that, uh, I mean, obviously Rocky Horror relies on the musical moments. That's a given. It's a musical. Um, but it, it doesn't feel like it's like putting forward songs just because, well, we got to get the plot going and we are a musical shit. 
I feel like I feel like Richard O'Brien probably wrote the songs because he wanted some catchy shit. And then it was like, okay, now let's make a movie out of it or make, let's make a stage show out of this. Um, that's probably not how it happened, but it, that's what it feels like. And as far as like, oh God, I fucking love all the songs in, in Rocky Horror. Um, you know, I, f- I think Time Warp is probably the most overrated, especially for wedding DJs. <laughs> I've never been in a wedding where they played Time Warp. Wow. I, I, they play Time Warp at every wedding I've ever been to, probably because my wife s- asks them to play it. But uh, <laughs> I was uh, like, you get you you go to more interesting weddings. Oh, we, we make more, every wedding weddings more, are interesting. more interesting people. Yeah, um, we actually we had our wedding at the Orange Peel in Asheville, North Carolina, uh, which is this really great music video. Um, I love Asheville. I've been there I a just, few times. But. I just recently saw David Cross. His last special was shot there. And I was like, hey, I got married on that fucking stage. <laughs> um, I never asked. If we can. Can we curse on this podcast? I've, I've been Ye- dropping. Yes, you are. You time. are permitted. Yes. Uh, you can't curse while talking about Rocky Horror. Gasp. Uh, I always forget that I say fuck like it's a comma. And uh, <laughs> whenever uh, I'm on a podcast, I don't you're, you're among friends. But, uh, you know, uh, I think probably Sweet Transvestite is probably the most like the, the moment where for me, you start just getting like fucking pumped uh, for the rest of the film. That's the one, that's the song where things just like suddenly you're just like a whole new world. <laughs> I've heard uh, that like originally Rocky horror was supposed to be black and white till Frankie shows up to sing sweet transvestite. Yeah. Well, it's time warp. Oh yeah. Like when it hits the time warp. Yeah. I've, I've heard two different things. I've heard right when they open the doors and also right when Frankie shows up. The, uh, well, the, you the can, first one, the first one can, sounds more probably Right. Yeah, you can watch that version um, at least on the Blu-ray I own. I assume it's on all the... There's like 18 million Blu-rays mm-hmm. uh, of Rocky Horror, but... Uh, there sure are. They release another one. I I think every five years they yeah. put out this. It's the same transfers every time, but yeah. yes, they release um, it constantly. But uh, you can watch the... Uh, they call it the Wizard of Oz version uh, mm-hmm. on the Blu-ray. And I actually prefer that version. I think it's a the better idea. Like you it's lose a, great idea. a little bit with the lips um, just because the lips look really good red. Oh, I, um, I just assumed the the lips would stay red. No, it's, like, it's and then black and white until uh, the movie, until uh, the time warp starts. As soon as Riff opens the doors uh, to reveal the Transylvanians, uh, it's black and white, and then it goes full color. Um, which you know, I I think s- saying it like if you had watched the film or like if it had originally been released uh, with the black and white um, intro. Yeah, you wouldn't even think. You wouldn't even think about it. You'd just be like, "Oh yeah, the lips are, are black and white." Um, but uh, whoever, probably producer, decided that was a bad idea. They probably didn't want anybody walking out. Uh, that's <laughs> what I assume the reason was there. Um, but, well, it looks uh, great. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's uh, like it's a. I mean, it's a great looking film. Uh, it's a very stylish. Uh, you know, um, does this does that ca- does it count as a rock opera? I don't really know the I, like. I think to be opera, you'd have to be structured like Tommy with like little snippets of every song here and there recurring. Okay. I think that's what makes it an opera. Um, yeah, I, there's I also go, like virtually no speaking at all, I think, in, yeah. in opera. It's okay. just singing pretty much straight through. I don't know how these fancy terms work. I just watch <laughs> the movies. Uh, let me say, I, I agree with you that Sweet Transvestite is the best song in the uh, in the thing, if only because that's where Tim Curry comes in and he just wrecks the screen he just takes it yeah the second that cloak comes off 
uh, and he just belts it out. I'm a sweet and I can't sing. So I'm not going to do that to yeah. your poor listeners. But uh, like it just you feel it in your fucking soul. Uh, and you just like right then you're like, I need to buy a pair of high heels right now. No, he just absolutely like commands the stage. I, I don't I cannot think of many performances like that. Like you can't take your eyes off him. Oh, yeah. And there's it, literally nothing. Not literally nothing. But for the sake of hyperbole, there's literally nothing <laughs> more tragic than the fact that we never got a sequel starring Tim Curry. Um, as the resurrected Frankenfurter, if only because there could not be enough movies uh, with him as that character. Like it, it is, it breaks my heart that that never happened. I mean, I love shock treatment um, <laughs> to a, a unfortunate degree, but God, it, it hurts me that we never got more of that. And it's, you know, I mean, he didn't want to be typecast as, as that character. I get it. But I, uh, I, I heard him say something once like, yeah, I got very tired of being identified with Frankenfurter. So I became very lumpy and boring. Yeah. Which I mean, you know, that's how we get Congo. So, you know, we wouldn't have the sesame cake scene if he didn't well, get tired of Rocky. Just, you know, but, so but there's why. But, but why are you eating my sesame cake? Why are you eating my sesame cake? You know, it's funny, it's classic. Tim Curry, like, you know, because I was a kid in the 90s, you know, I was familiar with Tim Curry before I watched this Rocky Horror movie. I, I knew him from Home Alone 2 and <laughs> from Muppet Treasure Island and from a very short-lived sitcom he had in the 90s. I only watched one episode of it, but I remember it very distinctly. It wasn't, in my memory, it wasn't very good. I associate him with Clue. That was the first thing I can remember having seen him in. Oh, yeah, I think a lot of... So he's 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 forever Wadsworth to me. He's got that like good shot green. It's it's real hard to make the connection between any of these characters in Frankenfurter. Oh yeah, it yeah. Is, it's it's it is uh, the the very definition of a performance. Uh, <laughs> he he just turns into another being. Uh, helps that he has all that makeup on, and you know you don't usually see him in a corset. God, it's really one for the ages and you know it i there's something about an actor who can take a role that's that iconic and then go on to do a wadsworth and and to do a sesame cake scene and <laughs> you know, do all these things that are i think he's in the shadow if i'm not mistaken uh just all these film oh performances. yeah that's right he is and every time you're like fuck yeah that guy and you don't immediately go frankenfurter so good, good job getting lumpy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was also Captain Hook in the Peter Pan uh, cartoon. And that was amazing. Oh, yeah. that's the other thing is that like he had that really cool animated career. All these references um, that I feel like you were very intimately connected with before you saw Rocky Horror Picture Show. I know, Yes, I know. Um, I promise we will eventually get there. I won't. I don't think my my explanation is going to satisfy most, but there will be a couple people that will understand um, that will understand my pain. Michael, you talk a lot about um, movies when they come out on Blu-ray, and this transfer has been around for a while. Um, what do you think of that? And do you because like they they keep putting it out, and they did. I thought that I don't know what the scan was that they did originally, but like, should it get a 4K UHD? Does it need it? It's a beautiful film for for as grimy as it is in some ways. Um, well, I don't know what the um I don't even know what this transfer is is based like what kind of transfer it was and I haven't watched it in a while like I didn't rewatch it for this um I anytime I go back to it I immediately I'm just like I'm in I'm done I'm good <laughs> uh 
but uh, I also didn't have time uh, for your fucking podcast. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I I don't think it needs a 4K. Um, I don't think I think there's a lot of movies that get 4K releases that don't need a 4K. But if they could do like a really sweet 4K scan of the negative and like a nice restoration, um, it has enough scenes that are visually appealing and I mean, it is all the musicals generally are just a lot of fun to watch um, and are very visually intensive. I, I would definitely be curious to see a, a 4K. I, I don't know that it's necessary. I, I'm sure everyone like on the Blu-ray.com forums would disagree with me. <laughs> um, I am not notorious. I'm not notorious for anything, but I for again, the sake of hyperbole, uh, I am notorious for not really caring that much about the whole UHD thing as much as I enjoy a good 4K. Yeah, Blu-ray.com is a site I, that I would say, like, if someone else is going to do it, um, I think that their mentality is like, give me the print and I'll scan it. Yeah. <laughs> God, God damn it. God damn it. I- Come on. <laughs> no, you just refused. I did a bad tweet and I tried to regurgitate it on the podcast and you refused to entertain it. Sure. Uh, no, I, I just oh, missed it. I missed my no, cue. No, it's fine. It's okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think the only thing you'd get out of a 4K scan is maybe um, there's something about all the, the narrator scenes that are a lot softer than the rest of the film, and I don't know if they shot on a different camera or if that's a thing that could be corrected if they went back and did another scan, but that's, like, the only thing I could think yeah, of. I mean, it's a nice transfer. now It is, uh, considering the fact that I think they did it... Uh, I think that was... I think that transfer was done a really long time yeah. ago because they've done, like, every... I think a couple of years they put out another one. There's been like, I don't know, like five, six, maybe seven. I looked it up. I was like, how many times? A lot. The answer is a fucking lot. Yeah, I'd be curious to do a, uh, like, I would, I would love to just take some stills from each edition and see how closely they match up. Spoilers, they would match up exactly. But um, I, I I can't, like, I feel like this is one of those things where, uh, A, the people who own it know they're going to make plenty of money with each release, no one who or not no one, but the amount of people who will buy the Blu-ray because, oh, that weird musical with the transvestite is on the shelf uh, versus just, you know, fans or people in the, I guess, you know, uh, Blu-ray community or whatever. Um, like it doesn't like there's no business there when you're no, automatically sure going to get people buying it. All right. Let's talk about the let us talk about shadow casting just a little bit more. Um, this is a thing that um, I know a little bit by proxy just because um, you see, I grew up in the state of New Jersey. Take a drink, listeners. Um, and there was a really big crowd of people in northern New Jersey um, that did it. Um, I don't know, like if that's like a. I have no idea if there are regions that are known, but there was a really big group there. And um, a buddy of mine who was a roommate um, many years ago was one of the prime people that was in it for many years. And um, the thing that he talked about a lot, which I thought was so interesting, is that the place, the theater where it was held, um, it was really just that like they'd go in. They did everything you set up and then it was all done when the when it was done filming, like they had to clean up all the mess themselves, like everything soup to nuts was, you know, the performer's responsibility. You know, you'd come in, you'd set up, you do the show, you'd be the janitors and then you'd leave. And what he had sort of talked about, which I thought was interesting, was 
if you weren't out as being gay before, you were out the very second you walked out of that theater because there were all regular shops and stuff outside of the theater where they did it there. And people instantly knew and saw they knew that you were coming out because you were affiliated with Rocky Horror. And then that was it. And that's how people knew that you were gay. And Michael, the reason I brought you on the show is because you are completely straight. And what I find really interesting is that it is such a uh, it's a very, very queer space in a lot of ways. And and in talking with uh, with my old roommate about this, you know, that was something I was really reminded of. And the whole reason I never went is because that was exactly the thing that made me uncomfortable because I was closeted and also because, like, this Tim Curry thing was, like, living out loud and being a transvestite wasn't me. Like, I was, you know, dealing with uh, gender dysphoria and trans-related issues, and my idea of being femme is not being out loud and having everybody look at me. It's... I don't want anybody looking at me. I want to pass and be very quiet and and just go through the world without anybody looking at all. And that's why I didn't like Rocky Horror and would never watch it because it. How much have you seen? um, I mean, like I had seen clips here and there. I knew that you know I knew Time Warp and 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 probably a couple other songs, but that was it. I had really like I actively avoided the thing. Like I remember, I would go to friends' houses around like Halloween or whatever. And it would be on the television and I would literally just leave because it just like it sparked a specific discomfort in me that especially when I was a teenager, I was not remotely prepared to cope with. And then as an adult, having gone like through a lot of different processes and had lived many different lives uh, and presented different ways like that, I you know, it just didn't serve a purpose for me after that. I didn't need it. So I just never so I just never watched it. So that's it. But what I think is really interesting is that, you know, that there is room in the Rocky Horror space, which people do often identify as a queer space for somebody who is a straight moderate to come and still be a part of that community. And that is a thing that I don't know gets talked about a lot. And that was a part of the reason why. You know, it's it's funny. I, I had a I had a friend over who is trans. Right. And we were watching it and he just, he just told me straight up, like, this is, this is for straight people. And I was like, really? But like, you know, I, I see you shaking your head and well, it's not, not for straight people. And he's but like, I don't think of it that way. Like I definitely think of it for being for cis gay people. And, um, well, his, which I don't mean as an insult, by the way, I'm not yeah. like, I'm not trying to do it like that. His, his, his experience with mostly like the, the straight boys in theater really liking it in his high school theater class, really liking it. And, you know, like I am like, for me, this was like the big opening up of the world because I'd never seen anything like that before. I was, a, but I was boringly straight before I watched it. I'm boringly straight now. Like I was like, huh, I never thought of it that way. I, I certainly know tons of gay people for whom it, this movie was their particular awakening, including yeah. a friend of mine in high school. I don't know. I think the music for it makes it a little more accessible I just it's really important to get the straight white man's perspective on this is critically, critically yeah. important well, here. And I, yeah. I, I come for I don't know about New Jersey. Um, I don't think I've ever even been to New Jersey, <laughs> uh, but I come from the liberal utopia that is Charleston, South Carolina. 
mm-hmm. and we we the New Jersey of the South. Yeah. Yes, uh, we were the actually the only shadow cast in South Carolina for the years I was on that cast, um, and I I never really saw it as a a yeah a gay thing. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a thing with a lot of gay stuff in it, but. Um, I, obviously I was straight, um, our cast leader, uh, TJ, who sadly passed away uh, several years ago. Um, he was super dedicated to the movie and he was straight, at least as far as I know. Um, we did have some gay folks on the cast. Um, our Frank was a really great gay drag queen. Um, but like the Rocky who preceded me was straight. Um, I, again, I assume he had a wife, uh, that doesn't really mean anything, um, but uh, especially for Republican senators. Nope. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, we, you know, we had a mixture of people. Some were gay, some were straight. There was a uh, middle-aged uh, mother of one or two uh, who was the magenta before me. Um, you know, and I've been in three shadow casts total. Uh, the one in Asheville, I, I don't remember. I, was on, I wasn't on that for a long time because I, I didn't live in Asheville very long. Um but it was a mixture. The group here, uh, the t- the the director, the main director, um, was a bit of a piece of shit. Uh, he was gay, uh, or is. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I mean, you can go check, but <laughs> has that changed in the meantime? I don't think it's changed. Uh, but yeah. he he's gay. Uh, I don't think the other director was gay, but I, he was always tough to tell. He was. This isn't a uh, me being shitty. He was literally autistic. Uh, and so I, I could never quite tell what his deal was. Um, but he creeped on some girls. So I guess he was probably straight. God, I'm a little bitch. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I ended my relationship with that cast in a very um, public and mean-spirited way. Because uh, they were the, the directors. The, the cast, for the most part, was great. But the directors were the fucking worst. Um, and I had been on enough, you know, uh, or been in a shadow cast for long enough that I was like, ah, eh, fuck you guys. Anyway, um, point is, um, me. The point is me being catty. Uh, the point is, uh, <laughs> I, I never really saw it as a strictly gay thing. I never saw it as something that meant you were gay. Um, I got, I actually got hit on a lot uh, by girls. Um, they, you know, they would tell me that my legs looked better than theirs in the magenta costume, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Damn right, girl." Um, <laughs> but I, I think the thing that makes it such a phenomenon with straight people i don't think it's you know it's not a strictly straight thing i think that the more flamboyant uh campy type of um gay individual will often flock to it because it allows that sort of performance aspect i mean it you know it allows you with very little talent really to go up there and perform so if you're not like a great singer you're not a great dancer both of which apply to me uh you can do that uh and i think that for straight people, especially straight men, uh, it's the ability to go out there, be flamboyant, be weird, be campy, you know, dress in feminine clothing. But you don't get, you know, you're not going to get outed as anything because it's for the show. Um, and I think it allows people to really let their freak flag fly uh, when it and, you know, I mean, we had a um, a float was I say float a like weird pickup truck thing. Uh, at the gay pride parade in Charleston, uh, I remember a cop had me cover myself with a, with a blanket uh, because I was I was doing Rocky. 
too much. I had, too much. Yeah, I had the the gold speedo on, which is so weird because you could get away with that at a beach, but apparently you're at a, in a parade. It doesn't work, so I had to like cover myself with a blanket and look like fucking Doctor Scott. You know, I think uh, Doctor Scott. <laughs> you mentioned uh, Rocky. Uh, you mentioned <laughs> uh, you know being a, a boring straight dude. You know, I think that for a bit you get to be an exciting straight dude uh, when you do Rocky. <laughs> you know, it it allows you to throw because there is that kind of um i guess stereotype um where you know you're um i never use this term so i'm probably being dumb but uh you're a cis white guy uh and mm. i mean not you but uh <laughs> the royal you is a swiss white guy uh, swiss jesus cis white guy a cis swiss <laughs> um and you you know there's nothing uh or there's like this um this idea that you have to be like super butch or whatever and to be a man you have to you know be you have to do those manly things and you can't wear dresses or garters or you know whatever a corset or heels because uh, that would make you gay but you know if i'm doing rocky horror it's it's actually all right i'm, I'm allowed um and that i think and that's one of the reasons that i think rocky horror is so important to me uh is it really helped me form who I later became, which is uh, I, I'm sure none of your listeners <laughs> know anything about me. Uh, but, you know, I'm very open about sexuality. I'm very open about just like I watch I for my channel. I, um, I I've watched one gay porn now for the channel. Uh, we're working on more, but <laughs> uh, like I'll watch gay porn. I'll watch uh, gay movies. I watched. Um, uh, oh, shoot. What's the uh, love? Love. Oh, fuck. Guru. No, <laughs> <laughs> it was the first thing that came to my mind. Uh, uh, I don't know why I'm so bad at remembering. I have the memory of a fucking 85 year old. Um, I just uh, reviewed this Wish, shot on video. Love, love Island. Uh, I watched the, I watched this shot on video gay vampire comedy. Uh, oh, is it Love, love Bites? Bites? Thank you. Um, hey, yeah. One of the many movies called Love Bites. Uh, and, you know, there's lots of dick and butt. Um, a lot of very campy gay humor and you know if you're raised in this way uh, be it by parents or society where you see that stuff and go ew gross you know uh, that I, I don't know I can't grasp that anymore because of how my mind was changed by just seeing Rocky Horror and the path that led me down um where I became very open to all kinds of cinema and suddenly it's like yeah dicks whatever fuck like who cares they're just penises you got one I assume uh, like it doesn't matter uh, and you know not everyone in Rocky Horror thinks that way there is definitely I think a segment of the Rocky Horror um, fandom that can be almost maybe even homophobic uh, or transphobic um, you know there's certain callbacks that have not aged particularly well uh which are yeah. still used because they're just part of the show oh wow i haven't thought about like honestly the callbacks are kind of my like i'm not really super into that part of it i just like the show i like dancing i mean most of them are are, are fine um you know they get offensive uh you know and some of the like there's a there's a great um as it clung to my thigh and the um, audience response is um, like a homesick abortion, uh, which uh, is a pretty funny gag. Like it's, you know, th this is a very Rocky Horror is sort of like this safe space 
for fucked up humor in a way. It's not not for dead baby jokes when you're at. Yeah, you kind of when you walk in, you kind of have to assume you're going to be offended at some point. And a lot of the every cast I've been on, the Vegas cast was a little different, but still more or less it worked out the same way. Uh, You're going to be offended and we're going to offend you. And it's not because we don't like you as or like however, whatever you are. It's that we're going to offend everybody. Equal opportunity offense. And, you know, as times have changed, um, you know, I think we as a society, at least for like the um, I don't want to bring politics into this, but I don't really know how to put it. The more like the the further left side of things, I guess um, you, you, you wind up with a bit more of a preciousness about certain uh, groups of people and it become it's become more, um, you know, not the right thing to do. Um, and I'm not questioning the, you know, whether that's right or wrong, but that's kind of how society has evolved. And then most Rocky horror casts, I don't think it really evolved with that. The Las Vegas show, they were, uh, they didn't like anything that was, a, or most gay jokes. Um, I remember, I remember some callback that I think I used that they got really shitty about. Oh yeah. In just seven days. Yeah. I can yeah, make that's, you, that's a big uh, one. Yeah. That's a big one. I've, I've, that that's just coming back to mind. I haven't I haven't been to Rocky Horror in a few years, so I, yeah, yeah that that might not play so well. Yeah, and it's also it, it's also Frankie's from transgender trans Transylvania now. Um, oh really? Oh, right. No, no I'm why? Kidding. Oh, but see, and like <laughs> I've heard that joke before. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's such a strange because like all right, so let's. I mean, we should talk about the fact that you know a couple of years ago they did one of those like live musical mm-hmm. things for television. I missed, and it. they I- did. But the but like you know like the headline was Laverne Cox plays Frankenfurter, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and so here's so I there's a couple things that I want to say about this um, because while I may not be a Rocky Horror person, um, I do have opinions about the way that trans people are represented, um, and also having talked to to uh, my friend about this a lot, there was one thing that he pointed out, and I have no idea how this shakes out in shadow casts across the country or around the world. But he said one of the big things was that sometimes they, people would be weird about race because there's like no black people in the mm-hmm. movie. So if black people wanted to be involved, they often there was a bit of a a, a bit of a, a, a wall to that. That some people, depending on where you went, would not necessarily be okay with having black people be in any of the lead roles. And I have no idea how common it was. I know that this was a thing that my old roommate had encountered. And so for me, on paper. The idea of saying Laverne Cox, um, statuesque black trans woman plays Frankenfurter on paper sounds great to me. The thing is, I think if you were going to look at Rocky Horror in 2020, it's not about sanitizing it. It's about going further with it and then choosing how you do that. If you were going to sit down and look at the callbacks and look at it, because I don't. I don't think it's a by sanitizing to me is the wrong word. And, you know, of course they put it on television. It's going to be completely sanitized for me. The problem with Laverne Cox in that role is not Laverne Cox herself. It's that, you know, she's beautiful. Yeah. I go and you look and she's, you know, you watch the movie and it's like people with bad teeth. The makeup is not designed to make you gorgeous. It's, it's to stun people, you know, like it's a type of beauty, but it's not like standard, like put on a magazine type of beauty. Yeah, that's the same reaction I had. Is like Laverne Cox is too hot for this. Like, and you then, know, and then, I, and then I immediately was like, "Oh God, I'm gonna get myself way over over my head." And then I backed away from that one off Twitter. 
Like, but I think it's it's about the to me it's it's the styling of of her for that. And look, I had no expectations. I knew that that thing was going to be you know not uh, great. Whitewashed <laughs> is literally the wrong word for this, yeah. but like, but just Same you know, it's like sounds right. Yeah, it to put to put Rocky Horror on network television in that way. You know, all the, I mean, I've watched many of those, and and you know, uh, Raven worked on Peter Pan Live, and so you know, we knew a lot of the people that had worked on some of these, and. Um, yeah, I just knew that it was going to be sort of Disney-fied to a degree. And I don't, I think that's terrible, but the on paper idea I think is great. And I think that if you're going to sit down and, and try to be honest about Rocky Horror and say, what should change? How do you make it more inviting to people? You know, I don't think it has to be that boogeyman of the SJW that wants to like, again sanitized in a different way it's about saying like how do we push this thing in even farther and when what way do we push it um that is interesting and complementary to this film that has been around for so long oh man I'm, I'm looking at the cast list for this 2016 version which i hadn't seen i was just like reeve carney as riffraff i saw him on stage as peter parker in the spider-man musical i'm like that's your riffraff? No. I think I remember Come Reeve on. Carney being pretty good, actually. Um, I only watched it once. I didn't like it. Yeah. But um, I recall <laughs> Reeve Carney being okay. Uh, and Laverne Cox, of course, did a had a great performance, but it, yeah, it was not styled correctly, um, in my opinion. Uh, regard. Okay, so just real quick about the uh, the black people, or I guess you know any non-white person uh, in the cast. Uh, I was def. I definitely remember there being some people of color in at least the first two casts I was in. I cannot say f- for certain which parts they were because they were never like long-term cast members, um, which that partly is just where I lived. <laughs> a lot of white people. I could see, I can definitely see a cast being closed off like that. One of my big problems with the cast I was in last was they were very strict about screen accuracy to the point where like if you had tattoos and you were Rocky, you couldn't, you had to cover those tattoos. Like you had to put, we had one um, person, I don't remember what they even identified as, uh, but they uh, had an arm tattoo, a sleeve rather. Uh, I'm hip. And uh, they, she had, or they had to um, use makeup to cover it up. Like couldn't use like, couldn't do like a bandage type thing. Had to actually like cover it up with makeup because the cast directors were that serious about accuracy, which by the way, no one in the fucking audience, if you're a cast director listening to this on this patron only stream or this patron only podcast uh no one in the audience gives a flying fuck about accuracy and if you're a director pushing for that then your entire cast thinks you're an asshole uh and i know this from experience it's it's a movie that people talk through like slavish devotion to screen this seems a little antithetical yeah it's the thing about rocky is the movie and the experience about rocky and even more importantly frankenfurter even though i never got to play frankenfurter which i'm still shitty about but anyway uh (laughs) The thing about that character is the beauty of the movie is that it tells you that you can be whatever you want to be uh, and then die by alien ray gun. Anyone can play Frank or any other cast member uh, in a shadow cast performance. Anyone can do it. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you identify as. That person can, can be it. I do think that the idea of making Frankenfurter transgender, while I don't care about doing that as like a performer, like I don't... Like, Oh, Laverne Cox is going to play Frankenfurter. Awesome. Cool. I don't quite see like 
it needing to be a transgender person because Frankenfurter's really he's not transgender. He's just a guy and dra- uh, a male. I guess he could be anything. He's an alien, but you know yeah. he is. He's a, he's a sweet transvestite. Yeah, he's a sweet transvestite. Uh, I don't think that that word like has that word changed. I, I know that's not as hip uh, as PC to say transvestite anymore. I don't think. I mean, I guess it's crossdresser yeah, but now. Like, that's yeah. I but guess. that's what he is. He's a crossdresser. Like he. He was always a crossdresser. I yeah, feel like, like the whole yeah, idea I, is that it's this. It's these two very white people, which I think the only time I would say that should probably be a white person is probably Brad and Janet. But even then, Shadowcast, fuck it. Uh, has to ever I don't give a shit um, but it's these two pretty white people from this very conservative town of Denton who find themselves in a place where their morals and ideals are completely transformed by what at the time was considered very deviant and what's deviant at the time well transvestites are part of that kind of deviant you know weird gay by whatever subculture that's out there it's punk it's you know it's everything that is against that waspy bullshit that brad and janet come from yeah i mean we're two only like two years since uh away from uh homosexuality being a mental disorder yeah exactly like, like it's an official mental disorder in the the big book of mental the, disorders the, but the yeah, dsm it's, yeah, it's yeah. aged in a very particular way uh I, I think like honestly we're lucky that it's aged as well as it has and i think is no matter what you might say about richard o'brien that's a whole other topic uh but he wrote it in such a way that it it just manages to skate by Despite the fact that really, if you think about it, it's, hey, this is all very degenerate. And I think it's because he, um, you know, the the play and the film put you on the side of that degeneracy, even though the villain is part of the degenerates. Like, I think that. Yeah, but you love him. Yeah, Again, you love, you him. love, you um, love Frank. And I think, you know, by the end, you know, Brad and Janet have given in to this lifestyle. They're, you know, I mean, they're forced to, but they like it. You know, they're they're into it. They do and like can, it. They fucking love it. it. Uh, You know, Brad wants his asshole stuffed every night after that film is done, (laughs) Uh, which is in the, you know, when they were going to do a sequel, a direct sequel. That was his thing was he was contending with his new gay lifestyle and it was ruining their marriage. That didn't make it into shock treatment. I think they just went into shock treatment. Shock treatment. uh, Yeah. Richard O'Brien decided. And I don't this. I think this was just because he had to. But his at the time, like statement on it was that he was basically turning them into um Oh, I forgot what he the what he used, but it was basically like an Abbott and Costello, just like they're they're the characters that are going to be in these wacky adventures. And they're not necessarily going to reference those adventures. Uh, And that was totally forced on him, really. But it's not a bad idea. Like, it's a fun idea to have these two straight laced uh, young people from Denton just kind of outside their comfort zones and, you know, meeting their weird twin brother or whatever. Uh, Spoilers for Shock Treatment. As much. As much as uh, I enjoy the idea of just like continuing to fuck with Brad and Janet throughout the decades, I don't think they're necessarily strong enough to hold up a series of movies. Now they're not franchise characters. Maybe not for you. Well, no, they could, they could, they could be the rabbit angstrom of the of the B movie world. <laughs> um, boy, that's a anyway. Uh, no, I so I agree. Here. I, that's it. Very mm-hmm. rarely do I, but here we are. Um, I, so I think to me, um, leading back to the, the Laverne Cox thing real quick, there was a, an analog I wanted to make. So I agree with you, Michael, that it's no, I don't think the character should be transgender. I just think that a part of opening up the show and making it 
modern is really just letting any person play any part and exploring the idea of what it means to have different kinds of people, trans, cis, non-binary, straight, gay, bi, pan, whatever. Um, uh, I think that letting those people operate in that space and in a way that's opening and comforting and welcoming is good. You know, whether or not anything else needs to change, I don't know. But that as a baseline is good. And what I think is interesting is that I remember um, so a musical that I uh, much more attached to um, because of the, the way it came into my life is Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And what I think is really interesting about that show, which also was met with a kind of puritanical rage from the left, was that um, they had a lot of different people come in and play the part. And one of the people that played that part during the original off-Broadway run was Ali Sheedy. And people were furious, which I didn't know until I met Ali Sheedy. She came, I was working at a comic book store and she came to the upstairs area to buy some anime for her kids or whatever it was. And somebody said, you know, you look like Ali Sheedy. And she said, I am Ali Sheedy. And they started gushing about, you know, Breakfast Club and Short Circuit or whatever it was. And I could see her, her eyes glaze over. And I thought like, oh, this, I mean, she's being very polite. And I thought, if this is going to happen, I'm going to compliment her about something that she did that's fucking weird. Something that is real, like something that you wouldn't expect Ali Sheedy to do. And I said, I heard that you played Hedwig. That's so cool. And she said, people were really mad that a woman played Hedwig. And I immediately said, why? I'm not saying that, that that's a thing that should always happen. But as a one-off, to have a cis woman come in and play that part is completely different and affords a completely different viewpoint and a different way to think about it. And I think that that's interesting. All the time? Fuck no. Occasionally, letting different kinds of people come in and do it? Absolutely. I think that's fascinating, and I think that Rocky Horror, in my mind, it's the same thing. Anyway, I, there you I, go. I, that's, me. that's me on my soapbox. I, I completely agree with you. Um, I actually, I'm mad at myself. I didn't include the Ali Sheedy thing uh, in my sh- in my uh, Hedwig video, um, for some reason I don't know why it would have made perfect sense with the topic. I'm just a fucking idiot, I guess. You know the I, I hate nerds. Okay, I want to. So I <laughs> uh, I uh, thanks for supporting us on Patreon. Yeah. So um, I have this problem. No, if you're listening to us, you're cool. You're not a nerd. But anyway, go <laughs> on. I have this problem. Like I okay, I am a huge fan of a lot of things. Uh, I think I'm wearing, yeah, I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt right now. Uh, I, you know, I love Star Wars, Star Trek. Uh, I love musicals. I love James Bond. I'm obsessed with James Bond. Uh, I I love all these big properties. You know, I, as much as I have uh, critical opinions of them, I love, you know, the Marvel movies. Um, You know, I've seen them on theaters and, you know, I I love what would be considered nerd culture. Um, and things that people are generally considered nerds for, for loving to an aggressive degree. But the problem I have with nerds, and this applies to nerds of Rocky Horror, applies to Broadway nerds, it applies to, you know, nerds of, of, of Hedwig and the Angry Inch, you know, the, the headheads, um, is they, they get so fucking pedantic and so needlessly, like, obsessed with details in an art form that usually thrives under change um you know uh, hedvig deals with gender it is a film it is a, a play rather and film uh that 
deals a lot with how gender works, how we let gender, um, you know, define us as people, uh, which I, you know, I get that. I very much am against all the gender norms of uh, being this, you know, this, this, this cis male, you know, when you have something that is dealing in some, in that sort of thing, like just have a fucking woman play it. Sure. Why not? Fuck it. Have someone who has nothing uh, do it. I, I, there's all kinds of way you could, ways you could play around with this concept when it comes to Rocky horror, like the whole, you know, the whole idea is to make people uncomfortable. Uh, Crossdressers rarely make anyone uncomfortable anymore. Like my, my, my stepdad doesn't even give a shit about, uh, about crossdressers, uh, and he's and he's super just uptight. Yeah, like, like but trans people. I'm pretty sure Drag Race has a big Republican following. Yeah. You know, like the moms in Middle America, they're still watching Drag yeah. Race. Like, um, transgendered people certainly have become far more mainstream than they were a few years ago. But it, you know, as we've seen, bit of a hot topic. Um, <laughs> and you know. It, I don't know what in the J.K. Rowling you're talking about. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that, OK, what makes people uncomfortable now? There's not a whole lot like that's the the crazy thing about the era we live in is we've gotten to a point where there's really not much more you can do to make somebody uncomfortable um, in the broad sense. Obviously, you're always going to have prudes out there. Um, you know, transgender is one of the like last frontiers. It's that. And I guess. um uh, you'd have to get into more like specific stuff than I really am comfortable talking about, I guess. But non-binary yeah. being being a mo- being a moderate yeah, being, being a moderate uh, that's big, you know, that makes people uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. yep, <laughs> uh, very much so. So I, I'm just thinking about all the times I've been called everything under the sun on Twitter because of that. Uh, give some give a transgender person the role. You know, if you wanted to make a version where he was trans was specifically transgender, I guess that's fine. I mean, he is an alien, so. Uh, it, you know, actually kind of work. Actually, it might actually diminish the trans thing because he is an alien. I like, I'm <laughs> thinking about it. I've never, I like, I've never, I've never seen him as an alien. I mean, he, he I, is. I know he, t- I know, but like, uh, he takes, I, well, I, I think that's, well, it's interesting that you say that in my head, boy, now we're talking for a while, but this is one thing that had occurred to me when I watched it for the first time ever at the age of 40, uh, <laughs> is that, you know, um, Everybody except for two people in this movie, in my mind, all have the same acting style, which is it's like they were in spaceships that descended from planet wherever and landed in a 1950s drive in. And there was a B movie on and they all watched it and assumed that that's how humans behave and that's how they act. And the only two people that I don't think are like that are Susan Sarandon and Tim Curry. They're the only ones. Um, And it's not who remained famous. (laughs) Well, right, and that's and that's a big part of it. You know, Susan Sarandon was already somebody, and uh, and so she's. I don't I think mean, she she's was. Still, was she really not? I mean, like she kind of reads to me as somebody that like is somebody. She was still early. Mean, like that, don't mean that to be as. Um, but she, but she's got that. Like you know what it is. It's also that like when they get to the scene where like everybody's in the in the in the course in the bodice, like you know. Um, I think uh, yeah, Columbia, bell, yeah. you see her titties, you, but you but you sure don't see Susan Sarandon's t- titties. And that's, you know, it's because she said, fuck, no, I'm not doing that. I think I'm she sure. had bigger aspirations, um, which you can see in her career from that point on. Sh- sh- sure. But I think that her performance is in for like, it's not that she's not down in, 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 in the proverbial muck with everybody. But like, there is something that she's doing that's a little bit different. And Tim Curry is 
over the top to me in a way that is British glam and is theatrical is for the stage. Um, but it's not quite that RKO pictures like caught the B movie thing. Like the two of them are the only ones that are not quite that. I don't remember where I was going with that, but it is a thing that I noticed in, in the watch is that everybody else is of a particular performance type, except those two. Yeah. I like, it just occurred to me is like you said, it's like a very British glam rock thing It's like, yeah, this is, this is the, the time of Bowie and all the other original <laughs> glam bands. So check like, out Tim Curry's music career, by the way, <sighs> I, is there a music career besides his movies? No. Yes. Yes, there is. Oh, wow. Look it up on Spotify. Check out his music. It's not, I mean, it's not great by any stretch, but it's, it is, listen to it. Check is, it out. Is Toxic Love on Spotify? Uh, good question. I don't know. Toxic Love. He's, uh, there's some, there's some interesting stuff on there. He does have, he has at least one record on Spotify. That's how you know I'm 40, folks, because I use the word record. <laughs> Anyway, um, is there, I, f- I feel like we've kind of talked it out. Is there anything else you want to say, anybody, before we stop this hour and twenty minute podcast? No, I think we've uh, we've we've done. I mean, it was it, this is a mo- a movie to talk about for eighty minutes, so I'm I'm pretty comfortable with that. But uh, I think I think we can wrap it up. I could talk for hours. But All right, yeah, you're you're. I mean, whatever. yeah, yeah. All right, so. Um, Thank you, uh, Michael, for, for, for joining us. Could you, before we do our big wrap-up, can you tell people where they can find your material on YouTube, on Twitter? I know that you and I both have heard that place like the plague, but, you know, just in case somebody wants yeah. to. Um, well, I do have my, so when it comes to my um, serious addictions, uh, I do have a Twitter account. <laughs> uh, it's just at Michael Keen, K-E-E-N-E. Um, and... Uh, I am technically on Instagram, but I never use it. Um, but if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm at MB Keen. Uh, I have a YouTube channel where I talk about primarily Blu-rays because that's the only thing I talk about that people give a shit about. Um, but uh, I talk about film, uh, filmmaking, stuff like that. Uh, and uh, it's uh, I don't remember how YouTube works, like forward slash C or U forward slash whatever. Um, me either. It's, Michael Keen doodles, but you can just look up Michael Keen and it's it's the one who's not the guitarist. That's me. And then I also am a filmmaker. And uh, honestly, uh, before the pandemic, that's more what I was uh, kind of pushing. But now I've that's all, like my my movie plans for this year got completely fucked in the in the booty. Um, but uh, I have two films out there. One is a homage to uh, so-called bad cinema, uh, primarily Neil Brain. It's called Fatal Future, and that's on Amazon Prime. And then I also have a film that is a shot-on-video horror film, which is a uh, an homage again to um, that genre <laughs> of SOV horror. Uh, that's called The Head, uh, which is the worst name I po- probably could have given it, but here we are. It's stuck. It's on the <laughs> internet. Uh, but you can find that on Amazon Prime and also on Vimeo. Uh, of course, it's very explicit, so it's hard to find on Vimeo. But uh, if you don't want to support the corporation, there's that. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much me. I'm just this guy who's super niche on the niche side of the internet. Hi. <laughs> well, we appreciate you being here. Uh, thank you, everyone. Go check this out. I hear he's got a great video on shock treatment. And, uh, yeah, and we'll have, uh, there's a, there's a poll up for the, for next month's episode. If you have not gone in and, and voted yet, please go and vote. 
uh, for the next musical, movie musical, whatever that ends up being. And uh, I guess as of this recording, there's country music to vote on. So go <laughs> vote about country music so that I can just be gobsmacked and flabbergasted that people have country music opinions. Because I about modern country music, bleh, I have no idea. You better start uh, developing some opinions real fast. Nope, that's why we have a ringer for that episode. It's so that I can once again say I have no idea what's going on. Thank you for listening, patrons. We'll catch you in the next one. So long.